Great to have you here. Welcome to New Beginnings. We are in part two of a series called Teach Us to Pray. If you were not here last week, please go get a copy of it. I think it was really good. It'll really help you because I think it really sets the tone because what it is, is it's Jesus's speech on before I even teach you how to pray. It's almost like, let me teach you how not to pray. Isn't that kind of funny? Whenever like you have a coach or an instructor or teacher, you're like, okay, before I do it, let me tell you, it gets on my nerves. Never do this. You know, Jesus kind of has one of those moments. And so he begins to break down certain things not to do. So he says things like, hey, don't pray like uh, weird religious people. He, 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 you know, they just think that if they pray for show and they pray so that they look really spiritual, he goes, that's annoying. Don't do that. And he goes, and there's other people too. They're not, they're not the, the religious people. They're the pagan people. He goes, don't pray like they do. They're, they're weird too. Don't do like that. Cause they, back then they would chant and do incantations as long as they possibly could thinking that if they could do enough chants and incantations, you get God to do something. They'd even cut themselves and make, they all do all kinds of weird stuff. And he's like, don't be like that. That's just babbling is what God thinks of that. So don't, don't do that either. But rather what I want you to do is, is I want you to think about when you pray. And last week we determined that when you pray uh, can actually mean a lot of things. He, he never gives a specific time. Jesus said himself that he'd get up early in the morning and pray and he modeled that. And then you know, there's, some, some, there's definitely something worth like praying at night before you go to bed. And then some writers in the New Testament say just pray all the time. So that's pretty much all. So when should you pray? Whenever. And the answer to when you should pray is it really the answer is this more often than you currently do. Because no one has ever said, wow, you know what my problem is? Pray too much. No, nobody's ever said that. And it's like, you know what my problem is? Pray too much. That's, that's my number one issue. So, so there's a when to pray. So there's a where to pray. And the where to pray had to do with, with solitude. It had to do with a quiet place. It had to do a place free from distraction. Because in that place, that's where God gets to know you. And you get to know God. And so anyway, there's these cool dynamics that Jesus gets. And this is before we even get into the prayer. I mean, like, because we're about to get into the big prayer. The reason why this all starts, this teaches to pray, is because the disciples... Notice that when Jesus prayed, it seemed to look different, smell different, feel different than how everybody else prayed. Because they grew up in a praying culture. It wasn't like they didn't know what prayer was. I mean, like, if you, if you grew up in a, in a home that never went to church, and then you came to church and were like, how do you pray? I get that. That's not these guys, though. So what they're saying is not, I've never seen prayer, I don't know what to do, teach me. What they're saying is, I've never seen prayer like that before. I want... Have you ever known somebody like that? You watch them pray, you're like, wow, it's like they, they know God. They have a direct line to heaven. I, I want that. I want it. That's what the disciples did. They said, Lord, we see what you do. Will you teach us to do prayer like you do prayer? And he begins to give for them this kind of breakdown because everybody wants. How many of you want your prayers to be effective? How many of you want your prayers to be answered? How many of you want your prayer life to actually be kind of kind of meaningful, right? There was this one guy who was who would he was a Jewish man. He would go to the Wailing Wall and pray every day. And there was a journalist there who was watching kind of what was going on. And he observed this particular man. And so while he was there doing articles, he noticed every time he was there, that guy was always there. And so finally he said, maybe there's a story here. And he, he interviewed the guy and said, hey, why are you here? You seem like you're here in the morning, in the afternoon. He goes, I do. I come here three times a day and I pray. And he goes, I've been praying the same thing for 20 something years. And he goes, really, what, what do you pray for? He's like, well, I pray for for world peace. In the morning, and then I pray that the, the lack of starvation in the afternoon, and then I pray for these incredible big ideas. And he goes, wow, for 20-something years you've been doing that. He goes, how does that make you feel? He goes, it feels like I'm talking to a wall. And so, it's a wailing wall. 
You'll get it later. Um, how many, how many ever done that though? You ever, you ever pray? You feel like your prayers hit the ceiling and kind of bounce down to you. You feel like you're talking to nothing. You ever pray and feel weird? Like, I feel like I'm like talking to myself. Like I'm in a room and I'm trying. And so we, we have these, but we all want that. We all want effective prayer. We want a connection with God. We want our prayers being answered. There's this, there's this really funny story about these three men who go on an incredible hiking adventure and they get to this raging river. And one of them had powerful prayer. And so he said, God, we need to get across this river. And so, God, I pray that you give me powerful strength to get across this river. And so all of a sudden his arms blew up. He's like, like pop my and he swam across this raging river. It took him a couple hours. He almost drowned. But bless God, he got across that river. And so it was the next guy saw what was going on. He's like, well, I'm going to pray, too. And so, God, not only do I want you to give me the strength to get across this river, I want you to give me the strength and the tools to get across this river. And so then. He gets stronger and then poof, there's also a boat. And so he tries to row across and almost capsizes a few times. He almost drowns, but he eventually gets, he gets across the river. Do you, do you know this prayer? So the third person says, I got a better idea. Not only am I going to pray for the strength and the tools, God, I pray that you give me the strength. I pray that you give me the tools. And I pray that you give me the intelligence to get across this river. And you know what happened? Poof, God turned him into a woman. She pulled up a map. Looked and saw that there was a bridge 200 yards north of there. Walked up across the bridge and she crossed the river. And so that's why. And all the women said, amen. Look at the map. Look, Look at the map. I don't know how I feel about that. So, so today we want to be the people that have powerful prayer, a prayer that connects us with God. And, and so today we will take that next step into not, just not just the when, the where and how not to, but what does it actually look like to pray like Jesus prayed? Let's do this. Let's actually pray ourselves before we begin today. Bow your heads with me. And so, Father, we pray, God, that teach us. If we're not doing it right or if we're a little bit off or we don't know what to say or we don't know where to begin or what should be included in the prayer, God, help us today. Teach us today. God, help us walk out of this place with a desire to pray, even if we're not even fully sure that we got it figured out yet, God. But above all, just a desire to know you, a desire to talk to you and a desire to hear your voice, God. And we pray that you would teach us, Lord God, just like those disciples asked so many years ago, Lord, teach us to pray. And we all said... Amen. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to walk through what we read last week and then pick up the new section here. The Bible says in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love praying, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the Lord's prayers we know it. This then, this is this is the transition. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we all said, 
Yes, because we all say at the end of that prayer, right? And there's, there's even a part in there after this that says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and amen. And what's interesting about this is that if you go back to the oldest New Testament manuscripts that we have, there, that, that section's not found in there. And so what people debate over is, is was it originally in there, taken out and then added later, or was it never in there and just added later? And here's what I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter. What they were doing was, is that they were taking this. You got to remember that the Jewish people were people of prayer and they had many written prayers. I can show you other prayers from even this time period that don't look too different from this. And what every Jewish prayer had was kind of an opening where they acknowledged God. And then they had kind of a closing benediction, just like we have for thine is the kingdom. And the, but you would just praise God and give God glory at the end of your prayer. So that was normal. That was expected. That was so expected to the, to the Jewish person. You didn't even have to put that on the end of the prayer. It was just assumed. Does that make sense? So don't get hung up on the details of that one. That's good. Whether you say it, don't say it, doesn't matter. I would say put it in there because why not? It is his kingdom. It is his glory. It is his power. Amen and amen. And so that's the reason why it's not in like the NIV translation of the Bible versus maybe the King James or the New King James translation of the Bible. So so what we see, though, is this. And here's what I want you to get you to see is this, is that Jesus has this incredible prayer. But this is the prayer to model, not the prayer to recite. Let me say it again. This is the prayer to model. It's not the prayer to recite, at least in this way. It was never meant to be something that you repeated these exact words morning, evening, afternoon. And that was the thing that you prayed. And it wasn't Jesus saying this is what you say exactly every single time. This and no more and only this. And I need you to do it five times a day while facing the east or the west or that way. So are are you getting me? This this was meant to be a blueprint. This was meant to be a model. This was meant to be, hey, let me give you the dynamics of what prayer should look like. And I'll tell you that I know this for fact, because just two verses before this prayer, what does he say? He says, don't get into rehearsal prayers, just reciting things over and over and over again. Because when we repeat the same phrases over and over again, they lose meaning, they become mechanical, and they lose their life to them. And God's relationship with you is not meant to be mechanical, it's meant to be organic. Does that make sense? It's it's not meant to be routine, it's meant to be life-giving. And so God doesn't want you just to have mindless repetitions that you ramble through and then walk away as a duty for the day done. That's not what prayer was meant to be. So this is the model. Everybody say the model. It's the blueprint, it's the outline, it's the structure and the flow. And what you'll see is this, because I've looked at this thing so many times. Maybe one of the easiest ways to look at it in the way that you and I will look at it over this week and next week is the prayer's kind of broken into two halves. What's amazing is that the first part of the prayer is incredibly like over the top, cool, like majestic, eternal, like Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. As It's like this big thing. Like God is huge. And then the the next part is, but I would really like some food. And I'm a mess, so I need you to forgive me. And then help me because I'm going to get in the mess later too. And so it goes from being like this incredibly majestic prayer to almost like a simple prayer. Like it's, it's incredibly spectacular and then it's really, really basic. It's, it's really over the top and then it's like, no, I've just got some needs. Could you help me out here real quick here? And so isn't that the dynamic of life, that life has moments that are, there's splendor and then there, there's life where it's simple. 
There's life where it's big, and then there's life that's just basic. And we, we feel that many times. Our life many times is just normal. It's routine. It's going through the same kind of repetitious things that we've always done. But how many know in the repetition, you still got to eat, right? Like you still need some provision. You still need to, to be able to have some basic needs met. And God wants to do all those things. But this opening part of the prayer is what I want to focus on today. And I'm going to tell you really quickly why. It's because the first half of the prayer is different in this regard as well. Is the first half of the prayer, he doesn't ask for anything. He only declares things. Did you notice that? Only later when you get into the second half is like, by the way, can you give me this, give me this, and then help me here. So in the, in the latter part, he's actually saying, I need some stuff. But in the first half of the prayer, he doesn't ask for anything. He declares things. And here's the principle I want you to walk away with is this, is that what you declare over your life sets the tone for what you receive in life. What you declare over your life sets the tone for what you receive in life. That literally when God is this to you, then it sets you up to live this way. Does that make sense? When you, when you believe certain things about who God is and the nature of God and the character of God, then you live a different way. So Jesus goes on and he starts off. Let's just work through the prayer. He says, before you say anything, I want you to say, our Father. And, and in, in the Greek, they use the word Abba. Everybody say Abba. Now, I don't know if you've ever hung out with anybody from the Middle East. I was with somebody not too long ago because of this big, giant wedding, birthday, I don't remember what it was. People, people do big family things in different parts of the world that I don't have. I have like a brother, you know what I mean? Like they have like a hundred people at these family gatherings, but the little kids would run around and because they're from the Middle East, many of them still call their dad, Abba, like Abba, Abba. Like that's their way of saying dad. Now, I don't know about you, but if you grew up now, how many of you grew up going to church as a little kid? How many of you grew up in some type of formal church, maybe like a Catholic, a Lutheran, a, a Presbyterian, a Southern Baptist? Yeah, yeah, you grew up in something like that. Like, we were always kind of taught in my church that, that prayer was meant to be formal, right? So you take your hat off, you bow your head, you close your eyes, and then you pray in somewhat of a King James voice. <sighs> Because it's real formal, right? Like that's the way prayers is. It's formal. And Jesus says, no, no, it doesn't have to be. As a matter of fact, it's just dad. And and that's where we begin life. We begin dad. Now, Now, I don't know about you, but like most of you in here probably have kids. You ever have your kids come up and be real formal to you? No, (laughs) mine don't. If you, you, we'll talk later. I'd love to see how you pulled that off. But my, my kid doesn't never, my, I got a 10-year-old son, a 7-year-old daughter, a 4-year-old. They never come to me like, Father, what if thou cometh into the kitchen to prepare Cheerio cereal for me? Would you be thy provider today to meet my needs in all of your glory? I'd be like, what the heck is wrong with you? You'd think your kids are on drugs if they did that. Just be like, Dad, can you get me some Fruit Loops? That's all I need. Yeah, I'd love to because I love you. Does that make sense? And so he starts with this idea of, hey, dad. And, and, and here's what you need to know. This was a pretty big leap from Jewish culture and tradition at that time. Because they still, as a matter of fact, let me tell you how they started most of their prayers and most of their blessings. It would start with this. Blessed be God, king of the universe. Now, do I think that's great? Absolutely. But it's just not what Jesus did in, the, in what we call the Lord's Prayer. So, so they say, blessed be God, king of the universe. He says, dad, 
That's different, isn't it? Dear dad in heaven. That's how he starts his prayer. So when you look at the Old Testament, and the reason why is because the Old Testament shaped their view of who God was. In the Old Testament, there was about 14 different times in the, in the Old Testament that God was referred to as Father. But really, it was always referred to as the Father of the nation. Does that make sense? And then Jesus shows up and it's like, no, he's... He's dad. As a matter of fact, later on, when, 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 when things are wrapping up at the end of Jesus' time on earth, after the resurrection, he says these powerful words to the disciples. He says, now I'm going to heaven to see my father and your father. And they're like, what? You mean he gets to be my dad too? Yes. I'm going to see my father and your father. This isn't even like a big corporate thing, even though that is still true. This has gone from corporate to personal as well. So he is your dad. And so a lot of times people would be upset with this because they felt like you were making God too close, too informal. As a matter of fact, there was one other Jewish rabbi that they really didn't like and they really got mad at. His name was Honey. And you've maybe heard this story, I don't even know if I've told it before, but it, there's a story, it's a kind of a legendary story, called Honey, the circle maker was his nickname, is because when he prayed, they talked about the way he prayed was different than the way everybody else prayed, and when he prayed, they got, he got results somehow. And so in a time of incredible drought, they finally went to Honey and were like, Honey, will you, God listens to you, will you please pray that God would send rain? And so the reason why he was called Honey the Circle Maker is because he literally took his stick, drew a circle and said, God, I'm not leaving this circle until you send rain. And so he does, and I don't even know, I don't remember the story telling how long he stayed there. We don't really know. I don't know if he took bathroom breaks, I don't know if they brought him Lunchables, I don't know what happened. But... Bless God, he stayed in that circle and he prayed and he prayed. And And so God starts answering his prayer. And so the way the story goes is that this rain is just pelting out of the sky and is is, is about to be like a monsoon. It's coming so hard because he had prayed and and they, they were mad at him because he was so personal the way he would call God the same way Jesus called God. He would call him Abba, Dad. And so the way the story goes, I'll tell you the way it ends, is that the rain comes so fiercely that Honey's like, wait a minute, this is too much. Okay, I asked for rain, but like, you're going to kill us if you keep up this, like, just a nice, gentle rain. And so the rain changes, and it's just a nice, easy, and it it basically ends the drought. And the Pharisees, some of the bad guys, you know, of of Jesus' time, still were some uptight dudes during Honey's time. and, And they were going to literally imprison him, stone him, get mad at him, but you can't when you bring rain. You don't kill the guy that brings rain. Because the people will mob you. So, uh, so, so basically, that's why they were mad at him, though. They were mad at him because th- they even said these words in the Talmud where the story is, is, uh, is written down. Is that we, we don't like the way that he talks to God because he talks to God almost like a spoiled little child asking his dad for something. So God, so, so Jesus says, hey, when you pray, the very first thing out of, your, out of your mouth, and here's what I want you to do, is I want you to declare God's relationship in your life. Like this is what, what we declare will establish what we receive later. What we declare now will determine how we live out life later. And when you begin to see God as your loving dad, how many know that begins to change the way that you approach God? Now, here's the problem. Here's the kickback for some of you guys is that really many of us have these these hang ups when it comes to this dynamic. And and this is not a good dynamic for you right now because you have brokenness in your heart. 
Many of you have some awful father experiences. And the way that you see your dad on this earthly planet is many times the way that you filter through your relationship with your heavenly father. And so dad was abusive, so well, God's probably abusive. And so that's why when bad things happen, I think God's beating me up. Ever had that thought cross your mind? God's getting me. God's punishing me for what I skipped. Skipped church last week, and so that's why I have five flat tires. And so, <laughs> how you do that? So, so uh, you know, Dad was critical. Dad, Dad was verbally critical. So every time I do something wrong, I think God is saying the same thing to me. How stupid could you be? And you're so dumb. And you, you know, you're a failure. And so, so we we have these hangups. And so many of us, we can't really walk into the throne room of God and recognize that he is dad because we've got our own dad issue and that dad issue is blocking it. And until we draw closer to God, I'm telling you, many of us need to know God as our loving heavenly father. We need to forgive our earthly dad for being insufficient and recognize that our heavenly father is always in always sufficient. Because God wants to be your loving heavenly dad. Somebody say amen. He does. He does. Number two is this, is, is that when we think about what he says, he goes, not only this, our father who is where? Where, where, where he's in heaven. Now, there's two ways of looking at this theologically. And as you break down the words, there, there's now first thing is this. Heaven's the coolest place in the world, right? In the world. Somewhere. Heaven's the coolest place wherever you can be. Heaven is also the place of authority. So when the Bible refers to God in heaven, he talks about God sits on the throne in heaven and the earth is his footstool. And so heaven is always referred to in the Bible as the supreme place of authority. So here you have this dynamic of saying, I want you to recognize that when you talk to to God, that he's your dad, but he also sits in the most supreme place of authority in the world or over the world or all things. In all things, he is the supreme. Because many of you, many of you have, a, 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 I want to say, like a, a misstep when it comes to your prayers. Because you think about the sovereignty of God. God's all knowing. God's all powerful. God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. And you say in your mind, well, God is sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. Why should I pray? And that somehow makes sense to some of you. What I would like you to do is change that and, and for it to be something a little bit different. And I'd like it to go like this. I'd like your prayer now to become, hey, my dad is in charge of everything. Why wouldn't I ask him for help? Do you see the difference? One says God's all powerful and can do all things. And so I have no reason to ask anything. The other person says God's all powerful and has all sufficiency. Why wouldn't I ask this person to intervene in my life? It becomes the most obvious choice because he is our dad who sits in the most supreme place of authority. Now, the other way of looking at it is this. Again, depending on how you look at it, whether you read the Hebrew or the Greek or the way that you look at words and, and the word dynamics, the other way of looking at it is like this. Is that the Hebrew word for heaven was also the Hebrew word for atmosphere. And many times people would look at this and say, not only is he in the supreme seat of authority, because that's the way we view heaven and the way scripture teaches how heaven works. But he also is this. He is my dad who is in the atmosphere. Or let me put it a better way. My heavenly father, my heavenly dad, who is as close as the air I breathe. That's where he is. Because, because let me ask you a question. Where's God? Does he sit in the throne in heaven? Is he everywhere? How does he do that? I don't know. 
I have no idea, but when Jesus says, I want you to pray, what you declare over your life is real simple. I want you to declare your relationship, but I want you to declare God's position over your life. God, you are sovereign over my life. You are powerful over my life. That you have all authority over my life. Number three is this. He goes on, and, and we're just kind of working through, again, these, these ideas of what Jesus said. This is how you pray. Then he says, hallowed be your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. To hallow something means literally to render, to acknowledge, or to become aware of. It also implies the idea of worship. And so here we have this idea of, of hallowing the name of God. Now, here's where we kind of make a mistake in American Christianity. Have you ever noticed that we always pray and then we have like this closing salutation, almost like sincerely or whatever. And we say at the end of our prayer, what do we say in Jesus name? Don't we always say that now you ever wonder why we say that? Well, the reason why is because they hallowed the name in other places. Jesus would even say if two or three people gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And if you would ask anything in my Name, I would do it for you. And so, so we read these scriptures and we get the idea of, oh, it's, it's the name. I, you know, it's almost like a magic trick. It's like, I can say anything I want. And if I'll just tag in Jesus name on it, it becomes amazing, right? No. Okay, good. Cause how many ever put Jesus in Jesus name on the end of your prayer and it still didn't work? Okay, good. So, so can we throw that out now? Should you end your prayer in Jesus name? Yeah, sure. Go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying that's bad if you don't. I'm not saying any of that stuff. What I'm saying was it wasn't meant to be the salutation or the ending or the wrap up or the benediction of your prayer. That was something that we kind of created. The idea of hallowing the name of God means, again, to come into the awareness of who God is and to worship God for who God is. Are you with me now? So when you pray, what I want you to do is put yourself into a place where you're worshiping God. Put yourself into a place where you are acknowledging who God is. Are you hearing me now? This is why worship is the highest form of prayer. Because when you're worshiping, it's not even you asking about something. It's about you just being in the presence of God. It's about you acknowledging Him for who He is. This is the highest form of prayer. And he goes, this is where I want you to begin. Before you ask for anything... I want you to declare who God is in your life. I want you to declare his position of authority over you. And I want you to create, this is the number three, is this, is I want you to create an atmosphere of worship. I, you, I want you to hallowed the name of God. Now, does anybody know what the name of God is? The name of God is, is fascinating because God introduces his name in the Old Testament back in the book of Genesis. And it's so amazing and so peculiar and particular and... They don't even have, they don't even have consonants in it. It's just, or they don't even have vowels in it. It's only consonant. It's the four letters, yud, hey, va, hey. So what we did was is we assumed or guessed at what the vowels might be. And so we introduced vowels in it and we come up with words like Jehovah or we come up with words like Yahweh because it's it, basically the J and the Y in Latin. If you, anyway, yud, hey, va, hey is the name of God given in the Old Testament. But here's, God actually tells you what his name is. And I'm fascinated at how many people have never actually noticed this scripture. God actually defines who he is in his name so that when you hallowed the name, you recognize and come into the awareness of who God is. Are you ready to read it? Check this out. Genesis, not Genesis, Exodus chapter 34, verse number five. God tells you what his name is. Are you ready? So the Bible says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I say the Lord. 
So when you're reading your Bible and you see L-O-R-D in all caps, what that is, is that's the, that's the four letters, yud Hey vah Hey. Are you ready? He says these words. He goes, um, I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord. So he passed in front of Moses and proclaimed what? The Lord, the Lord. And then he defines who he is. Are you ready? I'm the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, wickedness, rebellion and sin. So here's what I want you to do when you pray. I want you to recognize that your dad, who sits in the supreme seat of authority, I want you to have him over your life. I want you to hallow it or become aware of the character and nature of God, who, by the way, in case you don't know, is the is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Because who you believe God is, remember I said if you have a, if you have a dad issue and that's blocking you from, from treating God as your loving dad, you're always going to be restricted. You're always going to be limited in how well you can connect to your heavenly father. So, so I want you to hallow the name. I want you to come into the awareness of who God is. Because many of you have a bad God picture. Depending on what cartoon you watch as a kid, God could be the guy with the big white beard and a lightning bolt, a Zeus-type figure. He could be all kinds of different looks and figures. He, he normally almost always has a beard, and I don't understand that. That's what I'm saying. Um, but we have these pictures. And again, many times it's related to who our dad is. Many of you, many of you have Drill Sergeant God. Many of you have Fru-Fru God. Fru-Fru God is like the, the, the sweet, loving God who never does anything. And, and, you know, so like we have all these pictures of God. God's like, no, no, no. I want you to hallow the name. I want you to become aware of who I am and who I am is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That is who God is. And I want you to become more and more aware of the true nature and character of God. Can I get an Amen. So number four is this. He, he goes on to say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then we're going to put these, these little phrases together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's what you need to know is now Jesus has done a little bit of transitioning here. Jesus has gone from, hey, I want you to recognize that God is dad. But when you begin to pray about the kingdom... Who sits at the top of a kingdom? A king does. And so many of us end up with two different pictures of who God is, and I want them to be both. Many of us, if we have a picture of dad uh, as God, our relationship with God will become too casual. You will begin to take God too lightly. Does that make sense? But some of you, if all you have is a picture of God as king, as ruler, as authority, God becomes too distant and possibly too harsh. Why can God not be both? Why can't the king be your dad? Which puts you in the position of what? I am the prince. I am the princess in this kingdom. He can be both. This is why the apostle Paul said this. He goes, I always want you to think about God and remember the goodness and the severity of God. Don't ever think that God's the frou-frou God that's a pushover. You cannot push him over. But never think of God as this harsh ruler that rules with an iron fist and that's he's only king. Why can't the dad be your king? Why can't the king be your dad? And when you combine the both, you begin to get a real picture of God's love and his power working together 
in harmony. And so this is where we see it. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. I want you to do this. I want you to declare God's will over your life. And here's why this is so important. It's because in just a minute, you're going to ask God for some things. But if you don't declare God's will, if you don't declare God's relationship, if you don't God, declare God's sovereignty over your life, you know what you're going to do? You're going to ask for the wrong thing. You ever pray to prayer? I don't know if you do this. I, I pray prayers all the time and I'm nervous because I'm like, mm, do I really want this? Because sometimes we pray, God, if God, if I could just win the lottery, I promise I'd give you half. And, you know, we come up with these ideas and, and I would say, do I really want that, though? Or do I really want these things? Because sometimes you don't know what you're asking for. And until your heart is right with God, and you've declared God's authority and love and, and fatherhood over your life. You might ask for the wrong things. James says this blatantly. He says, many of you, you have not because you ask not. And even when you ask, you ask amiss because you ask for the wrong things. What keeps you from asking for the wrong things? It's because you've declared God's will over your life, not your own. Isn't this what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, I really don't think I want to go do that. That does not look good, but you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. And as long as God's will, because I know people all the time, I've, I've talked to people, just in a couple of them in the last two weeks, both of them uh, vying for job positions. And in both ways, they're vying for job positions. But if your heart is right, you will know, okay, I'm going to ask, but I'm going to be okay with the outcome because I know my life is in his hands. And both of them did not get the job opportunity that they had been praying for. So here's the tension. What if they weren't supposed to get it? Because if you think you were supposed to get it and you asked and God didn't give it to you and you think my will first, then you're going to be incredibly disappointed and then you think your prayers didn't work. And what I might tell you is this, is your prayer, God might have said, that is the last thing you want. If you get to that job, it's going to have this, it's going to create this, it's going to be all ten kinds of bad. You don't want that job, so I'm not going to give it to you. As a matter of fact, I have something different or even better in store for you. But you wouldn't know the difference because you don't see all things and you don't know all things. But the person who's declared God's will over their life says, my life is in his hands. And so I'm going to pray for this, but I'm also going to acknowledge that even if I don't get it, I'm not going to be disappointed in God because sometimes the best answer I can get from God is no. God, if you will just make him mine. The answer might be, Hades, no, stay away from that. Don't touch it with a 10 foot pole. Sometimes you don't want to be in that job. You don't need to be in that job. You shouldn't be in that relationship. You don't want to have that opportunity because some things are less than God's best. And if you don't have the perspective to know the difference, you will end up disappointed and you will think prayer doesn't work. And I would say prayer might have worked perfectly and saved your life. You have no idea the difference. But until you declare God's will over your life, that's the way we many times treat our prayers being answered or not being answered. I'm telling you, God's will trumps our desires. If he is your father, king, because if he is your father, king, you'll say, God, I trust you with the outcome no matter what. The last thing I want to point out about this phrase is this. He says, your kingdom come and your will be done. The last phrase was on earth as it is in heaven. Everybody say on earth as it is in heaven. One more time. Say on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what this means? What this means is that God is trying to make the earth look more like heaven. And he wants to use you to make that happen. That's why we tried to package up 22,000 bags yesterday. 
That's why we try to give generously. That's why we try to share our faith. That's why we try to become a generous people. That's why we do all that we do. It's because we are on assignment by God to try to make this place look a little bit more like that. One of the big misnomers of the last 60 years of Christianity is this. And we even have hymns and songs like, I'll fly away. It's a song about trying to get out of here and go to heaven. Like, you'll fly away. No. God says that's later. He says right now, I want you to... Do you know Jesus in none of the gospel accounts, in nowhere in his sermons, does Jesus ever say, hey, follow me, I want to take you to heaven. The only guy that gets that invitation is the guy who's dying right next to him in the moment. But outside of that, Jesus never preaches a gospel where he says, hey, follow me so I can take you to heaven one day. As a matter of fact, all of his sermons talk about the kingdom here, the kingdom now. I want you to be the part of the kingdom right here where you live now, because I want here to look like there. And so I'm not trying to get you to heaven. I'm trying to get you to get heaven here. And that's the big mistake of Christianity in the last 60 years is that we keep thinking. That's why you ever been to camp or you hear a, 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 a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And they do these big, massive altar calls. And the big altar call is this. How many of you want to go to hell? This is dead silent. No. No. And, and then heaven is this, this, this. And they describe heaven. How many of you want to go there? And we all say, yeah, that sounds fantastic. I can get me on the first boat out. And so, and people are compelled by this, aren't they? And people come and say, yes, because nobody wants to burn in hell. Everybody likes the idea of heaven. But Jesus never gives that altar call. Jesus never uses like getting to heaven as leverage. Does that make sense? Like that's not the, he he just doesn't go that way. He goes, no, no, no. The goal of Christianity is not to get you to heaven. The goal of Christianity is to get heaven to hear through you. So, so this is the prayer. This is just the beginning. This is the first half of the prayer. And lastly, lastly, we're going to end right here. And so there's this unique dynamic that many of us don't ever notice when we pray this prayer. Do you notice that the prayer never, ever, ever says I, and it never says me? Did you notice that? It's our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it says, give us this day, or lead us not to temptation. Deliver us. Everybody say us. Everybody say our. Everybody say us. Everybody say our. Everybody say we. Here's one of the one of the cool things about this prayer is that the prayer was not this solo individual prayer, but it was also meant to be taken into a larger capacity. It was meant to be not only personal, but it was meant to be corporate as well. And so right now, I want you to stand on your feet. And today we're going to close out service by actually saying the Lord's Prayer together. Again, this isn't the prayer that we're meant to recite day after day after day, five times a day, a number of different times a day. It's the model for prayer. It's the model. And then the beginning part is this. God, I want to declare that you're my dad seated in the most in the highest position of authority, that you have supreme authority over my life, that I want your will and not my will. I want to make earth look like heaven. God, I want to make sure that my heart is right before I ask for anything. And so I want to declare your position. I want to create an atmosphere of worship. I want to declare your will. And today, right now, what we're going to do as we pray this prayer together is we're going to declare our connection with all believers. Because, you know, for 2,000 years, we have all been praying the same prayer, haven't we? Our Father who art in heaven. We've been praying the prayer. I want you to know that your story is not very different than their story. 
Many of you, you go through hard times. You think nobody knows. Nobody understands. I guarantee you they do. We all share the same pains. We all share the same kind of difficulties and challenges in life. And we all share many of the same victories and the triumphs in life. And so I want you to know that when you pray this prayer, and every time you pray it from this day forward, I want you to remember that thousands and millions of people around the world, probably at the same time that you're praying that prayer, somebody else is praying that prayer too. That you are never alone when you pray that prayer. Can you think about how many Christians there are? Millions of them across the globe. And we're all praying and modeling after the same prayer. Many times reciting the same prayer. I'm good with you reciting it. I just want you to know that. Many times what I do is I recite it, but then I pray through it as I go. I say, Our Father. I start thanking Him for being my heavenly Dad. And I say, God, I want Your will be. I, I just pray through the prayer. But I want you to know as you pray the prayer, no matter where you're at, as you're working it as a model, or maybe you recite it just to remind yourself of all those beautiful words, I want you to know that millions of people around the world pray in that same prayer. Do you know there's people in the world right now, especially in the Middle East, they're praying this prayer harder than anybody else. They're literally being murdered and slaughtered and chased because of their faith in Jesus. There are more martyrs in the world today than there were in the first century of Christianity. When we go back and we think about the Romans and, 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 and what they would do to the, to the Christians and they would take them into the arena and they would do all these horrific and heinous things to them. And we, we you go back and read Fox's Book of Martyrs and look at how they treated and abused these Christians. And we think, wow, what an incredible time period where these people were having to give their lives to follow Jesus. Let me help you real quick here. Nothing has changed. It's still going on today. It's just not going on in America. But in other parts of the world, people are giving their lives to follow Jesus. And I guarantee you, they are praying this prayer. And I want you to remember as we pray it, we pray it together with them. That we are united in this prayer as we pray with millions of Christians around the globe. And so if you would, pray this prayer with me today and uh, try to follow along with me. We'll say it out loud. Everybody say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And we all said... Amen. Let's bow our heads real quick here. Dear Lord, I pray that we would declare something great. That God is every time we bow our heads and close our eyes, every time we find a secret place, God, as we take a walk, God, as we as we look up into the heavens and lift our hands, however it is that we pray, God, I pray that before we ask for anything, before we ask and make a request and start talking about what we need and what I'd like and it would be really cool if and God if you'd open that door and Lord if you'd please help me here before we ask for anything God may we first declare something may we declare that you are our Abba Father you are our dad but you are a dad that sits in the most powerful seat of authority that there is nothing that is beyond you and so God you are the Father King And so we pray, Lord God, that we would be in your will, that your will would be done in our life, God. That we would always be open to whatever it is, the direction that you want to take our lives. We won't be disappointed, God, but we'll be anticipating, what do you have for me next, God? So before we ask for anything, God, let our hearts 
be right with you. Let our hearts be connected to you, God. That is our prayer today. And we say it in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?